Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1. We're just starting. Just last week, we started this series all the way through every verse of 2 Timothy. We just looked at two verses last week, so you haven't missed much yet. And I'm glad you can join us, whether you're online or in person. And I do want to say how glad we are to be able to start doing more of our Kids Life programming. And uh, you have to register for that for Sundays. You can start as soon as noon the Sunday before, so noon this week for next week to register your kids. But I'm glad we're able to have classes for our preschoolers and our children. And thank you so much to so many of you who volunteer. We're grateful for you. We thank you, and uh, God bless you. Well, let's read in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, the subject of rekindling the faith. Let's read beginning with verse 3. The Bible says, I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I am convinced, is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Well, let's talk about what it means to rekindle faith. And if you're, if, if you're here watching online or, or here in person and you've not trusted Christ as Savior, we want you to come to know Christ as your Savior. As Jesus said, you need to be born again, and you need, a, you need to be saved. You need a relationship with God. But for those of you who know Christ as Savior, sometimes that fire that has started in our soul and salvation, that maybe has burned at one time rather brightly, can begin to ebb and it needs to be rekindled. And so let's talk about what that looks like. And I want to encourage you to take notes as we go. I've got three principles. Church app has it on the back of your worship guide has that. If you just want to write on the back of a piece of paper, let's note these three principles together. Principle, principle number one, rekindle the sincerity of your faith. And I want to remind you that God cares deeply about sincerity. The opposite of sincerity is hypocrisy. Very often the Bible warns us of the danger of hypocrisy. And so let's talk about what uh, real sincerity looks like. And I want you to note with me seven questions about the sincerity of your faith that we see in this text. And so let's hold our Bibles open. We're going to look beginning at verse 3. Let's look at seven questions about the sincerity of your faith. I want you to ask yourself these seven questions. Question number one, am I thankful? Am I thankful? The Bible says here, Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. He said, I thank God. Now, there's a thankful spirit that Paul has here that is a part of sincerity of faith. And if you want genuine faith, you want sincere faith, you have to have a thankful spirit. I mentioned last week how we would never want to say to God, God, give me what I deserve. We deserve, technically speaking, God's judgment. And I am grateful Many people take blessings for granted, especially in our own country in the Western world. We take blessings for granted. May I say, even many of us who name the name of Christ, we take faith for granted. But sincere faith is thankful. Sincere faith is always thankful faith. Question number two, am I serving? Am I serving? Paul says, I thank God whom I serve. The, the Bible reminds us of the importance of service. And God calls us to service. Jesus set the example of service to us. 
The Bible says about Jesus, Jesus said, the Son of Man, Jesus said about himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served. Boy, you would think that's what he'd said, I came to be served. I mean, get what's coming for you. Get people to serve you. That's what, the, that's what faith is about. What you need is blessing so you can be blessed. You need people to serve you so you've been served. That's not what Jesus said. The Son of Man, he said, did not come to be served, but to serve. Not to get, but to give his life a ransom for many. And yet many in our world, many even in our own country who named the name of Christ would, would almost sound as though they think the key to faith is what I get. And it's all about the blessings I receive. You know why God blesses you? Not just so you have a blessing, but so you bless. And God has given to you, not just so you have, but so you give. God wants us. God has served us. The Lord Jesus served us so that we learn this lesson of service. Now, can you serve with the wrong motives? Can you have an insincere faith? Can you serve with the wrong motives? Yes. But you can't have the right motives and not serve. You can't have the right motives and not serve. So certainly you could serve with the wrong motives. Plenty of people have had insincere faith, even though they're in some area of service. But you cannot have the right motives and not serve because God cares so deeply about our spirit of service. Question number three, is my conscience clear? Is my conscience clear? Paul said, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. Now, faith is about more than feelings, of course, but conscience is about the conviction God brings from the Holy Spirit to us. God convicts us because He loves us. So none of us like to feel guilty. I bet you don't like someone making you feel guilty. But you know, sometimes God makes us feel guilty, and He does that when we are guilty. That's when He does it. So when we're guilty, the Lord convicts us because He loves us and because He wants what's best for us. And so there may be something in your life right now, and I don't know what it is. I don't have any way of knowing what it is. But perhaps there's something in your life, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you. I want you to remove that. That's, I don't want that in, in you. I don't want you to act that way or do those things or think that way. Now, why does he do that? Is he trying to make your life miserable? No, he loves you, cares about you too much to leave you where you are. And so he brings conviction to you out of his love for you. And so now some of you may be, maybe you have confessed your sins a thousand times to God, asked for his forgiveness a thousand times, as though God cannot forgive you, as though he doesn't really love. And you're carrying a conviction you don't need to carry. But if the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you have something wrong in your life, he does that so that you'll change, repent, turn back to him, and find his absolute, full, free forgiveness because Jesus paid the price for that sin on the cross of Calvary. And so Paul said, I'm serving with a clear conscience because Christ already paid the penalty for me. There's a fourth question I want you to ask yourself. Am I following God's word? Am I following God's word? Paul said, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. Paul had ancestors, maybe you've heard of some of these people, Elijah and Elisha, uh, guys like Moses, or Abraham. Well, how would he know what they did? Well, he knew what they did from God's Word. He could read what Elijah did, and what Elisha did, and what Jeremiah did, and Isaiah did. He could read about the, the travels of Moses, and all that Moses went through, or the great example that patriarch of faith, 
Abraham. He could learn because he knew God's Word. And we don't base our decisions or our sincerity even on feelings, but upon the truth. Sincere faith follows truth. Sincere faith follows truth, not culture. Not culture. The culture doesn't always follow the truth. No culture does. Our culture doesn't. But sometimes because we live in our culture, we almost lose sight of it. We begin to live like our culture lives. It's easy for us to be conformed to the world, but the Lord tells us to be transformed. Sincere faith follows truth, not comfort. You know, God's goal for your life is something far greater than comfort. Paul wrote this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit while in prison. I suspect that was less than comfortable. Sincere faith follows truth, not tradition. We are neutral on tradition. It's neither good nor bad in itself. Tradition can be helpful or harmful, but it's not, there's nothing about tradition that says follow this. In fact, insincere faith sometimes just follows things because that's the, the tradition. Sincere faith is following truth. Sincere faith follows truth, not feelings. Our feelings can be affected by what we ate for supper or how late we stayed up. Sincere faith is always following the truth. We want to follow God's Word. We want to base our faith in what God says. That's why we want to study the Bible for ourselves. We encourage you to read the Bible on your own, to read the Bible each day. Read through that New Testament for yourself over and over. Spend time studying God's Word in a small group. Our life groups are our small group Bible studies. Open your Bibles together as we, as we study God's Word on Sunday mornings or Wednesday worship. We ask you to follow God's Word. Question number five, am I prayerful? Am I prayerful? Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remembered you in my prayers night and day. So it's like Paul said, it's not enough for me to say constantly that I constantly remember you in my prayers, but I constantly remember you in my prayers at night, and I constantly remember you in my prayers in the day. Just so we cover it all. He's saying, that's how serious I am about praying. That's how much I care about you, Timothy. That's how much it matters. And prayer is talking to the God of the universe. The God of the universe hears us when we pray. And when our faith is sincere, we want to hear from God in His Word, and we want to talk with God in prayer. Number six, am I compassionate? Am I compassionate? Verse four says, remembering your tears. So there was some event in the life of Timothy that caused him to weep. We don't know for sure what it is. Maybe it was the separation of Paul and Timothy, or maybe some other event. But there was some moment in Timothy's life where he wept. And Paul said, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Paul just shows him some compassion here. Sometimes that's what people need. If you know people who are grieving or hurting, sometimes what they need is not so much a sermon from you or or, or for you to inform them about something. Sometimes they just need your presence. Just for you to weep with those who weep. Just to care about them. Paul said, listen, I remember the pain you felt. And I care. I have empathy for you. And I care about you. There's a power to compassion. Sincere faith is compassionate. We don't look down upon people who are doing wrong. We don't like sin. But we love people because we feel compassion for people who are, who are caught up in the ways of the world and the things of the world and they're going the wrong direction. We have compassion for them 
because we recognize their need for God and how God has a way that's so much better. Am I compassionate? Question number seven, and I believe this to be perhaps the most important of these questions. Is there evidence of the sincerity of my faith? So verse five says this. Paul said, I recall your sincere faith. Man, I know it's genuine. I've seen it. I've seen evidence of that. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois. I saw evidence of grandma Lois' faith. And in your mother Eunice, your mom had faith. And now I am convinced is in you also. The reason he could say this is there was evidence in the life of Timothy that his faith was genuine and sincere. And there was evidence in the life of Grandma Lois and Mom Eunice that their faith was genuine. Last week I talked about the importance of godly men and, and how many young men have never, had, and young women for that matter, have not, they've got this father wound. They didn't have a godly father in their life and how important it is for men to be godly examples. And young boys are growing up often in homes where they don't know what it means. They don't know what it looks like to be a godly man. And our society doesn't teach that. And I want to say a word uh, to you uh, women. We need godly mothers and grandmothers. In fact, there are people here. I, I'm, I don't know your names. I just know there are many of you here because of the prayers of a godly mother or a godly grandmother who cared about you and who loved you and who didn't give up on you and maybe loved you when you weren't so easy to love. And I'm thankful for people like that. Can I say to you women how much we need you, how much we need godly women? Little girls are growing up in a society that doesn't teach them what it means to be a godly woman. It's, our society is not teaching them what it means to be a godly woman. And they need examples. They need evidence in the lives of women who have gone before them a little bit. And God could use you to make such an impact and such a difference in their lives. And I'm praying that by your life, as imperfect as you are, just like all of us, as imperfect as we are, we want people to be able to see Jesus in us. And when our faith is sincere, God uses that to bless other people. And Timothy's life was blessed by a mother who loved the Lord and a grandmother who loved the Lord and never stopped praying for them. And some of you are here who have, some of you moms and grandmothers have prodigal children, prodigal grandchildren. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop loving them. There is a power to a grandmother's prayer and a power to a mother's prayer. We need sincere faith. So I'm not a big golfer, but I was, um, you know, once in a while I do, I dabble. And our First Baptist Academy had a golf scramble. Our, we, we have a school here, a K through 12th grade school here, First Baptist Academy, and we love this school. And whether you have kids in the school or not, this is our school. Whether you're in, whether you have children in that school or in the public school system or, or you don't have children that age at all, this is our school. We care about it. We pray for it. And this is the, as hard a year as the academy has ever had because of the state mandates. Uh, we just have to limit the size of classrooms in ways that have made it so difficult and so cost inefficient. And we don't get any, you know, we're not tax, <laughs> we don't get tax uh, money. And so it's just been a hard year for us. And so uh, this has been a this golf scramble was a fundraiser for us, and it's been, you know, just kind of a fun way to do it. And, and so I played in it because I love the academy, and I don't mind embarrassing myself sometimes. 
So, but I want to tell you about, I don't like to brag, but I want to tell you about one particular shot. I almost made a hole in one. And um, I couldn't see the green from where I was, but the guys who were on the green said it almost went in the hole. Now, the only downside of it was it was, it was not the hole I was supposed to be shooting at. That's the only <laughs> kind of sort of downside of that. But, I mean, the upside is I almost made a hole in one. And we, I, we, I was on a par five, you know, and the hole I ended up on was to the side. And I said, I'm going to hit this. You know, par five, you got to hit a long drive. So I'm going to hit this to the moon. And it sliced to Saturn is what happened. That's what it, and it landed on the green, and we yelled four, and those guys scrambled around, and they were okay. You know, prayer was answered. They didn't get hit in the head, and the ball almost went in the hole. And had it gone in the hole, I would have called it a hole-in-one. I'm not sure how you score it, but I would have called it a hole-in-one for the rest of my life. Well, I, I mean, everything about it was fine, except it just going in the wrong direction. And if your faith is not sincere, it doesn't God wants something more than just that you have showed up at a church on, on occasion or watch online or, or that you go through the motions, that you follow some good traditions. God wants you. And if you miss that, you miss everything. He wants a sincere faith, a genuine faith, a real faith. And so I want to ask you to rekindle the sincerity of your faith. Principle number two, would you write this down? Rekindle the gifting of your faith. Rekindle the gifting of your faith. So verse 6 says this, Therefore I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now I want you to write down two things about this. First would you know you are gifted by God. You are gifted by God. So you might say, well, I know Paul was gifted, I guess. And Timothy, yeah, I mean, he, the Bible says he was gifted here. And uh, missionaries, they're gifted, I guess. And, you know, maybe the pastors are, I guess, gifted. And um, I guess my life group teacher is gifted, but me? If you know Christ the Savior, the Bible says you have been gifted by God, by God. He gives spiritual gifts to you, and he uses it for the glory of his name in the body of Christ. And they are perspectives, or they are roles to play, or responsibilities that you have, and God has gifted that to you. Now, I don't know the specific ministries God has for you to serve or what entirely he wants for you. We sometimes use the acrostic shape, S-H-A-P-E, to describe how you can sort of find the spiritual gifts or the S. God has gifted you in some way. Your heart, what is it that you really care about? How is, what, what, what really matters deeply to your heart? Your A stands for abilities. What talents has God given you? The P stands for your personality. Sometimes God uses that to help you to see how you can serve. And the E for experiences. God often uses our experiences, the good and the bad, even the pain of your past. Don't waste that pain. Use it for his glory. And don't forget the S of this, this spiritual gifts that God in heaven has gifted you for his service. He gives you spiritual gifts to use, just as he gives you blessings to use. God doesn't bless you so you can have a blessing and pat it on the head once in a while. He blesses you so that you'll be a blessing. He doesn't give you spiritual gifts just so you have them and can pat them on the head, but so you use them for his glory. You are gifted by God. Notice it says, rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. He's saying, secondly, you are commissioned for God. You're commissioned for God. At some point, Paul laid hands upon Timothy 
and commission him for some responsibilities. We do that when we ordain pastors and deacons. We commission those from our church who are sent out as missionaries. We do that for mission trips, and some of you ought to consider the possibility of going on international mission trips with our church. We go to uh, several different places every year, and perhaps God would have you share the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. You can be a part of the Great Commission, and we commission you. God uses these moments to remind us that we are all responsible for sharing the message of God to the ends of the earth. You're gifted by God. You're commissioned for God. God wants to use you. He wants you to rekindle that gifting of your faith so that you use your gifts for His glory, so that you help people come to know Christ as Savior. I, I, I guess I knew this kind of generally when I was young. I knew Christ as Savior, but I didn't know what God wanted for my life. In fact, I knew exactly what I wanted for my life. I was going to play Major League Baseball. And the only thing that stood in the way of that dream was that I couldn't hit a curveball or a slider or a fastball for that matter, and I could only hit a changeup if it didn't have much movement. I was really good at that if there was not much movement to the change. That's the only hope that I had. Other than that, it would have been a great career in baseball, but eventually God showed me that wasn't it, and He had something else. He had gifted me, and He, had, he was commissioning me. Can I tell you, God in heaven has gifted you, Christian, and He has commissioned you. You have responsibilities from Him, and so rekindle that gifting from God. Principle number three, would you write this down? Rekindle the spirit of your faith. And let's go to verse seven. And it is as relevant as any verse for our age. Verse seven says this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. That's right in the Bible. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So, I'm going to ask two things of you. First, remove the spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. This is the generation of fear. We're growing up in fear. We're worried about everything. We teach our children to be fearful. But the Bible says the Lord has not given us that spirit of fear. The Holy Spirit is not given to fear. And so, let's talk about some of the fears that we have that the Lord would remove from us if we would follow Him correctly. How about death? That's a pretty big one, right? A lot of people fear death. Very common story. The Bible tells us we're all appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You're going to die one day short of the return of the Lord. I need to be more positive. I'm trying to be more positive. You'd like me to be more positive. Some, some folks said, Pastor, we, need you. we want you to be more positive. Okay. I am positive you're going to die one day. How's that? Is that good? Apart from the return of the Lord, you're going to die one day. Your, your life is going to end. And you will live your life best if you'll recognize that reality. So, we, we don't have to, those of us who know Christ as Savior, live in fear of death, though. We don't have to live in fear of death. The Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said He's going to prepare a place for us. If we know Christ as Savior, the Bible says God is preparing a home for us in heaven, and that heaven will be a place where there's no more sorrow or fear or pain or hurt. It's not fallen like this world is, where all the problems that we have in this world so we don't have to live in fear of death. Now, we're not saying, God, listen, if, we, if we'd like to go just as soon as you can. It's not that. It's not saying, God, I want to I uh, waste your plan in this world because I'm so looking forward to the next. It's not that. But it's saying, God, we are going to live our lives effectively here because we're not living in fear of death because you have made a promise and you are a promise-keeping God and you've told us the reality of what happens so we, we can live 
in your presence here, but one day in your full presence in heaven, and we believe you and trust you enough that we don't have to live in fear like so much of our world lives in fear of this enemy called death. The Bible says death has lost its thing because Jesus, who died on a cross, rose from the dead and conquered sin and death and hell. Now, that's pretty good news, isn't it? We don't have to live in fear of death. I tell you, many Christians, we're in a generation. We need to, just, we need to understand that. We're not asking God for death. We're not, we're not um, ignoring our responsibilities with our health. We're saying, God, we don't have to live in fear of death. We don't have to live in fear of what others think. I know what it's like to be a people pleaser. Can I tell you something about that, though? I can say this with authority. You cannot please everyone. Did you know that? You will figure that out for yourself if you have to. You cannot please everyone. And so if you live your life worried about what others think, you are going to be sadly disappointed because not only will you not, you cannot please everyone. It's impossible. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, God who became a man, had people who were not very happy with him. Did you know that? It's right in the Bible. We don't have to live worried about what others think. If you will see it this way, if you'll think of not, the, not worried about pleasing everyone, but pleasing the audience of one. What if you said, you know, you know what I need to please is the Lord. I don't have to worry about what others think, but what does God think? What does God want? What does God say? I'll tell you, that's the most freeing place. We don't have to live in the fear of the unknown. I talked a few weeks ago about the what if factor, how we can live with what if, what if this happens or what if that happens. And I just use the absurdity of living in fear of the what if, what if an asteroid hits me as I'm walking out to the parking lot. As I was walking to the parking lot, walking across the street to my truck uh, after the service, someone yelled out the window, run, Pastor Doug, run, they said. The truth is, there's always a what if. But we don't have to live in fear of the unknown. You know, Paul didn't know what was going to happen to him. He, he wrote this letter from a prison cell. And yet, God blessed him right there. He didn't have to live in fear in prison. He didn't have to live in fear of death. He didn't have to live in fear of what other people thought. He didn't have to live in fear of what might happen. God, God wanted something more. In fact, let's write this down. Retain the spirit of faith. Remove the spirit of fear. Retain the spirit of faith. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. God has given us a spirit of power. Paul wrote this from a prison cell. Now, God has the power. Had God wanted to, God could have opened the prison cells as he did for Peter. Of course, God could have done that. But God gave him such power that Paul could write this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from a prison cell. That's the kind of power God gives. God gives the spirit of love. We can learn to love. Some of you can learn to love, again, your family members, your spouse in a way just as God loves you, he gives you that ability to love others, to even love those who have wronged you, and even to love your enemies. God gives us the spirit of faith, power, and love, and then it says, and sound judgment. Have you ever noticed how uncommon common sense is? Have you ever noticed that? It is terribly uncommon, but God has given us the spirit of sound judgment. 
God wants you to begin to see the world as he sees it. Not like the world sees it, not like the culture sees it, but to see the world as God sees it. That's what wisdom is, to see God's perspective. Sound judgment built on a solid foundation, built on the truth. God wants that for you. So sometimes we'll have a, have a fire pit out at our house, and sometimes that, the fire will begin to kind of lower, and the embers will begin to cool. And I have to take a little stick and kind of poke it a little bit and turn it and add some fuel and get it burning again. And perhaps God in heaven is speaking to your heart, Christian, about the fire of your own faith. And maybe it's grown colder through neglect or through worry or through doubt or through a thousand other things. And maybe God is poking, prodding, turning the fire in your life because he wants to rekindle the fire of your faith again. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. And as we pray, if, you're, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, can I urge you to give your life to Christ, to repent of your sins? The Bible says to place your faith in Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you, for you to receive him as Savior. The Bible, Jesus said you must be born again. The Bible tells us we need to be saved. I want to ask you to give your life to Christ. Christian, can I say just a word to you? Perhaps God is using this message to call you to a rekindled faith to rekindle faith so that the fire of your faith is burning more brightly and more strongly than ever. Maybe God is reminding you of sincerity in your faith, that it be genuine, the danger of hypocrisy. Perhaps God is using this to remind you to rekindle your gifts, to use them for his glory, to rekindle the spirit of your faith. He hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound judgment. Would you say, Lord, I, I want that fire in my life to burn more brightly. I want that again. I want that renewal of my spirit, that I am more like Jesus and that the fires of my faith are burning more brightly. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for telling us the truth. Thank you that this is a foundation upon which we can build. Would you, would you call people to trust you as Savior, Father, this day? Will you call Christians to a deeper walk with you, a rekindled faith for you? And we give you praise and glory for what you'll do and what you are doing in Jesus' name.